0: Today our scripture reading comes from 1 Peter chapter 3 and we're reading verses 1 through 7. So if you have your Bible with you, please, could you turn to 1 Peter chapter 3. Over these weeks of January together, we've been steadily making our way through this epistle and we're coming to chapter 3 this morning to a passage that in some ways is a little controversial and I think you'll get the sense of that As we read it, so we're beginning at chapter 3, verse 1. Peter is talking about living out your faith in a Christ-like manner. And he writes, "...wives, in the same way, be submissive to your husbands, so that if any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over without words by the behaviour of their wives." when they see the purity and reverence of your lives. Your beauty should not come from outward adornment, such as braided hair and wearing of gold jewelry and fine clothes. Instead, it should be that of your inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. For this is the way the holy women of the past, who put their hope in God, used to make themselves beautiful. They were submissive to their own husbands, like Sarah, who obeyed Abraham and called him her master. You are her daughters, if you do what is right and do not give way to fear. Husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect as the weaker partner and as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life, so that nothing will hinder your prayers." Amen, and we trust that God will bless to us this reading of his holy word. I mentioned moments ago that over this Sunday of January, we have been steadily working our way through what is one of the great epistles of the New Testament. And whenever we gather on a Sunday morning and open up God's word together, spend time in praise, bow our heads corporately in prayer, we come with a sense of expectation and anticipation. Because we know, as Claire reminded us moments ago, that where two or three are gathered together, Jesus promised, I will be there in your midst. And so as we come to the very Word of God, we come with that sense of excitement and anticipation. Yet we also know that we come with a desire to learn. And to learn principles that on Sunday morning would encourage us and equip us. Principles that we can take and apply to our lives as we seek to live out our faith day by day. And this morning I want to take a couple of minutes to remind you of some of the tools we use when we come to a passage of Scripture. Now if you worship with us regularly, you will be very familiar with these, so please forgive me if these are a little repetitious or redundant to you, but if you're here for the first time or you're watching online this morning and hearing this for the first time, I trust and pray that you will find these tools and principles helpful as you come to a passage of Scripture. And let me try and illustrate it this way. And again, please forgive me, I've mentioned this several times in the past, but it's a helpful illustration for us to get our mind around. As you come to a passage of Scripture, it's a little like having lunch in a restaurant where on the walls are two or three large television screens. And over on this side you have a large TV which has a talk show. And several panellists are participating and you can see what they're saying with the subtitles across the bottom. And then on the centre screen as you're dining you can see breaking news and so you're keeping up to date with what's happening. And then on that third screen there's a sports programme that is bringing you up to date events that have been over the past weekend or will come this week. And so as you're having your meal and chatting with your guests you can also keep an eye on three screens at the same time and try to stay up to date with all that's going on and likewise when it comes to scripture on a sunday morning we are looking almost in a similar manner at three basic principles we use when we come to study a passage of scripture and the first thing we're looking at is what is the historical context of the passage and by that i mean this we're asking who is writing to whom and why And of course, when we come to 1 Peter, we know that 1 Peter is writing to a handful of congregations in northern, what we would call Asia Minor, modern day Turkey, and I'll touch on them in a minute. Secondly, we know he's writing sometime in the decade of the 50s, AD 50, perhaps 53, 54, some New Testament commentators suggest a little later. He's writing from the capital of the Roman Empire, the city of Rome itself. And he's writing to encourage these congregations who are meeting in these small rural communities. And secondly, we're asking, what is the theological context? Now, if you're hearing this for the first time and this is new to you, it might be helpful for you to write this down in the margin of your Bible or perhaps at the foot of the passage so you can begin to use them and learn these principles you can go back to again and again. And when we talk of theological principles, this is what we're talking about, the nature and character of God. What does the passage say about his love? What does it say about his forgiveness? What does it say about his strengthening and enabling to us as we seek to live out our faith day by day? So when we think of the theological context, that's what we're thinking about. And thirdly... We're looking at the literary structure. In other words, how does the author of the passage we're writing, how does he or she construct what's being said? In the Old Testament book of Ruth, when you hear Ruth speaking and when she's engaging with Naomi, what is that conversation saying? What is the biblical author telling us by the way that is constructed For example, are we dealing with conversation as we might in the book of Ruth? Are we dealing with metaphor when Jesus says, I am the vine? Is that metaphor in picture language or is he speaking literally? And so we've got to assess all of that as we come to a passage. Why is the biblical author repeating a similar phrase? Why is he drawing your attention to it? And so all of these questions run through our mind, and that's a helpful structure every time we come to a passage of Scripture. What's the historical context? Screen one. Screen two. What is the theological content? Screen three, the literary structure. What is happening here? And, of course, as we think of the historical context, if you look at the bottom right-hand side of your screen, you'll see Jerusalem. And most of us are aware of where to find Jerusalem in a map. But if you go north, you bypass Caesarea all the way up to Seleucia and Antioch. And then just above them to the left, you'll see Tarsus. That's a name we're familiar with with the Apostle Paul. We go north again, we'll see the region of Cappadocia. And then if you move northwest, you'll see Galatia. And above it, Pontus and then to the left Bithynia that's the region that Peter is writing to. In chapter 1, verse 1, it tells us he's writing to Bithynia, Pontus, Galatius, Cappadocia. That's where the folks are. And so in writing to them, Peter is saying, I want you to be living out your faith day by day. I want to encourage you. I want to see you growing and maturing in your faith. And so he spent these first two chapters writing wonderfully to encourage the folks In these communities. And whenever we come to a passage, not only do we ask where, not only do we ask when, of course we're asking who. And I suspect most of us have a soft spot for Peter. And I think we have a soft spot for him for various reasons. There are moments in our lives when we immediately identify with Peter. And I certainly do. Moments when he gets it wrong. He speaks and then thinks. He is impulsive and rash and I found myself in similar situations. And yet he grows in stages that we can identify with as we have been in similar circumstances, Times when we have got it wrong and we have to come back and say, Father, please forgive me. Let me start again, refresh and renew me. And we see that in Peter's life as well. We also know that he fulfilled a unique role in his ministry and calling. Here he was, Simon Peter, disciple, author of two New Testament epistles, leader of the apostolic band. And please consider this, arguably the closest friend of Jesus on earth. He has a great deal to teach us. And if you remember back to that first moment when Peter engaged with Jesus, Jesus looked at him, looked deep into his eyes, and I would say also into his very heart and soul. And he said to him, you are Simon, but you will be Peter. And how many Christians down through the centuries, generation after generation, have found great comfort in those words. Words that encourage and re-energize and refresh and renew the promise of hope. You are, but by my grace you will be. Transformative, regenerative words that bring renewal and refreshment. And that's why when we come to this epistle, we find ourselves being drawn deeper and deeper into it. Because here is Peter speaking from experience. Someone we trust. Someone, as I said moments ago, we identify with. Someone who has those seminal moments as we have likewise. And in our series together, we have been thinking of a fresh focus for a new beginning. And that's exactly why we have been spending these Sundays in 1 Peter in these early weeks of a new year. A fresh focus for a new beginning. And Charlie reminded us last week, as Peter was writing that second part of chapter 2, he was reminding his readers of how to live out your faith In a society and culture that finds Christianity strange. Writing to encourage folks to stand firm in their faith. Adopt a Christ-like lifestyle. And last Sunday Charlie wonderfully gave us the introduction of how we live in a culture and of society in relation to governors and kings and those in authority around us. How do we do that? And he highlighted, of course, to do it in a Christ-like manner. And so as we come to the end of chapter 2, last Sunday, Peter was reminding us of all that Christ had accomplished for us at Calvary and how he willingly was submissive to others in order to impact them with his life. Willingly submissive to his Father's eternal purposes and plans. For us. And so, as we come to chapter three, Peter is not reminiscing about the day Jesus turned water into wine. He's not telling us of what it was like when he walked on the water in the Sea of Galilee. He's not talking here or describing a wonderful, miraculous, spiritual high point or experience. Peter is writing to remind us of the hard work of Christian discipleship in relationship. To some extent, it is much easier to live the Christian life in isolation, not in relationship with others, in a somehow fantasy ivory tower when we don't have to do the hard work of day-to-day living and engaging with others. And that's exactly where Peter is going here in chapter 3. And he writes in a powerful and compelling manner. And in picking up from chapter 2, he's saying, Let your life speak for you. Live in that Christ-like, winsome, compelling, attractive manner. Seek to apply God's word to your life day by day by day. Be considerate of others. Put them first. Let your life speak for you. And he's spoken in these terms, in fact, several times throughout this epistle. Back in chapter 1, he says, love one another deeply. Not simply love one another, but do so deeply. Be considerate of them. Empathize with them. Then in chapter 2, he writes, rid yourself of all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and slander of every kind. Wow, what a verse. And he calls us to live up to that. He's saying, do the hard work of Christian discipleship. Because with that hard work and obedience comes enabling and blessing, and encouragement, and strengthening. That's how you grow and mature in your faith, living for Him day by day by day. Not in some remote ivory tower, as I've said, but in the midst of hard relationships. Relationships in a working environment that can be tough and difficult in a neighborhood where you don't necessarily enjoy or get on with every person there but you're called to live out your faith as Christ would have you live it out. And then he comes in a very direct sense to a marital relationship, the relationship between a husband and a wife. Notice again what he says. He says, wives, in the same way, be submissive to your husbands, so that if any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over without words by the behavior of their wives when they see the purity and reverence of your lives. And as I come to this passage, I'm now honestly wishing I'd ask Claire to teach it instead of me, because it would come across so much better, I think. Wives be submissive. And you may be sitting there saying, Richard, that's exactly what I expected from a man. That's exactly what I would expect from the church. Out of touch with life in a 21st century world, it's clearly misogynistic. It's only focused on submissiveness and obedience. It tells us that the church is out of touch with nothing to say, It is male, pale, and stale. It's as simple as that. Wives, be submissive, really, in a 21st century setting. Is that where you want to go this morning? Well, pause for a moment and notice again the context. Wives, in the same way, be submissive. I suspect for most of us, we saw the word submissive to your husbands, But did we notice the words that came immediately before it? In the same way. Jump down to verse 7. Peter repeats himself husbands in the same way. The same way as what? As what came immediately before. When Peter was writing about Jesus being submissive to those he was serving. Willing to put himself second in order to live out a life that was absolutely spectacular, unique. Never demanding his rights, never seeking the first place, but putting himself second, being considerate, being submissive. Willing to go to a cross for our sin. And that's the point Peter is making. Remember who's saying this. This is Peter. The stood in Pilate's forecourt warming his hands over a fire while a wee girl said to him, I recognize you. You were the one in the garden that cut off the servant's ear. That's a Galilean accent. You belong to him. You're one of them. And he denies it steps back into the crowd and then a second time and a third time and on that third occasion Jesus turns and looks to him and the cock crows three times and he denied Jesus at the point of when Jesus needed support to know that someone else was there Peter understands failure He understands the need for forgiveness. And here he is, some 25 or 30 years later, writing as an older man, looking back, leader of the apostolic band, writing about being submissive. In that same way, that's our attitude. Now you may be here this morning saying, Richard, I'm hearing what you're saying. I understand exactly what you're saying. But I would want you, please, to be real. I want you to drill down this morning and tell us, please, how to apply this passage in a marital situation where husband and wife are not getting on so well. Or perhaps apply it to a situation where parent and child is not getting on so well, or tension in a working environment. Drill down and help us apply it. Help me to get to the nitty gritty. Please don't leave me with some theory of a Sunday morning, but help me get down to details. The hard work of living out your faith, of addressing a situation where for the last few months, husband and wife have been so angry with each other, they can no longer stand to be in the same room. And when a conversation does begin, it escalates very quickly to argument and hatred. And the most mundane conversations escalate into invalidation of you always say that. You never listen. You always behave in this manner. And so escalation, almost without us being conscious of it, moves to invalidation of treating someone else with disdain and contempt, of firebombing someone else with gotcha comments and questions and seeking to destroy someone else, not just disagreeing, but seeking to destroy. Ever been there? Ever in the heat of the moment found yourself moving from escalation to invalidation? And then after five or six months, no longer speaking, moving to withdrawal? But it's so much easier just to sit down, don't participate. Makes no difference. Do whatever you want. You're going to do that anyway. Is that what we're called to? Is that what Peter's describing here? Escalation and validation, withdrawal, refusing to participate, moving to avoidance? living in different rooms, eating at different times, negative interpretation on everything that has been said, reading motives into, and living with the heart and the pain of seeking to destroy someone else. And here is Peter saying, Live out your faith day by day. Do the hard work of Christian living. Resist escalation. Tame your tongue. No longer go down that road of being willing to attack and demean and display hatred. Do the opposite. Do the hard work. of refusing to act like that. Be the first to say, honey, I'm sorry. Don't know what I was thinking. Please forgive me. And now over these last few weeks and months, I have been ashamed of what I've said. I've hurt you. I've held you at arm's length. I've not engaged with you the way I should. Please forgive me. I know you won't believe me because you feel I'm just saying it, but let me show you by my actions over the next few days and months that I want to change. I want to adopt a fresh focus for a new beginning. I want to turn this relationship around. I want to be the husband or wife that God has called me to be. And I know I have messed it up so badly. But without His help and grace and your support, this isn't going anywhere. Please forgive me. I want to begin again. That's the hard work of a compelling, winsome Christian life that is submissive to another and not living for the emotion of the moment, refusing to treat each other with contempt, refusing to wound, refusing to give up, Refusing to withdraw and to escalate. That's what we're called to do. Husbands, in the same way, be considerate. The Apostle Paul writes in Ephesians, Love your wives as Christ loved the church. Live out repentance day by day. Genuine prayer. Make a difference. Invest in the relationship. That's what's going on here. Some of you heard me say this last week, and please forgive me for this, but in some ways it kind of it's a slightly lighter tone as we draw things together this morning. I was reminded last week of an email I received several years ago about a young boy who was eight who discovered his father's stamp album. And he became so interested in the stamp album, he and his father started to collect stamps. And they would lay them out according to country and region and date and color and shape. And over the years, they ended up with 13 or 14 stamp albums with one or two very rare and valuable stamps. And both of them discovered not only did they have a love for stamps, but the philately bug had captured their imagination. They had so much in common. As a young man grew into his teen years, he discovered sports and then, of course, went off to college, dated several girls, and in the end, he fell in love, brought his new girlfriend to meet his parents. They became engaged, set a date to be married. One evening, as he's walking with her hand in hand, he looks at her and says, I love you more than anything I could ever imagine, much more than my Valuable stamps or the entire collection, in fact. She turned and looked at him and said, philately will get you nowhere. (laughs) And I thought that was so clever. So clever. In real, genuine relationships, we're not playing with words. It's not a false love but genuine, Christ-like, day by day by day, doing the hard work of living out our faith. And that's what Peter is calling us to. And he's able to call us to it because he remembers a day of a new beginning. And he remembers the touch of Christ in his life. And like Him we also remember. You are, but by my grace you will be. This week, begin to prayerfully change. This week, Father, help me in the hard work of relationships that have ruptured and turned sour. And may I know the support and encouragement and equipping of your Spirit as I seek to live for you. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, we know this has been for us a challenging passage this morning. And so we ask that in a week that lies ahead, may we feel and sense your presence and your enabling grace. Touch us, transform us, strengthen us. Enable us to live out our lives in the same way as Christ would. Submissive to others, putting them first. Being considerate and loving and gracious in our relationships. Father, allow us a fresh focus for a new beginning.